together, gospel and culture. So a church can preach, teach, write gospel doctrine, yes, but by the way they live, by the vibe, by the way they communicate in their personal relationships, they can deny the beauty of the gospel doctrine by the way they live. This originally comes, uh, this, these, these thoughts in, impressed me several years ago. I was listening to a pastor, uh, Ray Ortland Jr. out of Tennessee. Um, and uh, he's very influential, very thoughtful, insightful uh, pastor. And it struck me as, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, so uh, we want to think about, as we've gone through this series, oh, here's the truth. All right, that's the truth, all right? Let's do more than just affirm that truth. Let's think, well, what does it look like if I believe that truth for that to connect with my life? So from the very beginning, we've been applicational. We've been thinking about applications, right? So um, I want to make sure we, we keep that in focus as we conclude this. Now, of course, every time we, every time we get gathered, we're always thinking about how does this apply to us? But if I really understood this truth in my heart, what kind of vibe would I communicate to my world? What kind of person would I be? So with that in mind, let's pray and let's ask God to be with us. Lord, this is your idea. uh, And this is not, and I am relieved, about me. This is not about what I can do toward these dear folks. It is all about serving your purposes and getting out of the way. So thank you that you are able and you're enough. You are more than able to do your good work in this moment. This is your word. We pray you accompany it with your good purposes. Help us be attentive. Help us to believe this is the most important stuff we could ever hear. Help us, Lord, with all our many distractions, with our busy pride, our busy pride. Humble us, Lord. Give us joy as we look to you in new and fresh ways. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Um, So, all right. I guess there's a big event in the heavens tomorrow. Are you aware of this? Some of you are wondering what's going on. The eclipse, the total eclipse, is going across the United States from Oregon to Florida. Um, I have a brother who is fascinated with these things, and he has for many, many years, this is absolutely true, he's flown around the world with his dear bride, and they have been witness to solar eclipses, Egypt and China and Africa and... uh, he is mystified that I have not uh, arranged my schedule so that I could be in Oregon with him to experience this two and a half minutes of glory. So I uh, recognize that it's a big event. I do, I honestly, I, yes, I would like to see it. I vaguely remember one of these when I was a kindergartner. Um, so I'm sure. And we get, it's a 7 a.m. tomorrow, and it's going to be a non-event here on the island. Uh, 
uh, I think, uh, but maybe, it, I don't know. So I say that to say that five minutes after the eclipse is over, something pretty mundane is going to happen. Life is going to continue on. Kids will be screaming in the back of the car. Someone will be hungry and cranky. Someone will back into another car, leaving the eclipse location and dent someone's car, and an argument will ensue. Life is going to return to normal. The spectacular event in the heavens will be over. Now, how about that for a cold, wet blanket over the whole event, right? Sometimes I'm very concerned about, hey, Todd, don't be so negative. So, but I think this way, I think this way, because we are glory seekers, aren't we? We are glory seekers. We want something to be spectacular, right? We want something to be spectacular. We hope in it. Is there more going on in just a solar eclipse? Imagine if we had one every day. Yeah, every day at 12 noon, there's a solar eclipse. Two and a half minutes, we'd all get used to it, right? Oh, man. Hang on, I'll be right with you. Cell phone signal's done. Over. Hang on. You know, it affects affecting your life. But if it was every day, it'd become pretty mundane, wouldn't it? But we want something special to work, to transcend our moment in this world. We want something to be spectacular and glorious. People are searching for that magic it. Someone has purchased a perfectly fine house. And they are now imagining a vacation house. They're imagining, don't do it, they're imagining a boat. <laughs> they're imagining it's a magic it there's a magic it out there we are in Revelation today the book of Revelation we're in chapter 5 and it may have struck you as sort of odd or like what is going on here there's these creatures around a throne there's a discussion about a scroll and then John, who's the author of this, he's the one who receives this vision. He is weeping because the scroll can't be opened. So it's like, well, where am I? What's going on in this text? And then the scroll is able to be opened. So this is a worship service in heaven. Is a not quite right to say it a service. This is what heaven is doing now. Um. This is a vision of worship. In chapter 4, the vision of worship starts, and these creatures and these elders and the angels have been extolling and praising God for his creation. Chapter 5 moves to another subject, redemption. God's saving work in, in his Son. But this scroll is critical, and this angel cries out in verse 2, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And now suddenly we're like, what on earth? This scroll, this angel has, has either pointed to the scroll, perhaps is holding it up, 
Or perhaps, if I'm more correct, the, the scroll is held by one who sits on the throne. That's, that's the correct way to view this. What is the scroll? Because it's vital. If no one can open the scroll, if that's the way things are going to be, and John is seeing this, John weeps, weeps. This is bad news. Someone's got to be able to open the scroll. Now, this is foreign. This is like, what on earth? We don't even deal with scrolls today. I'm going to suggest that the scroll is simply, and oh my goodness, the commentators on this are wild. Uh, even these 24 elders is another question. Are they, are they, are they angels uh, who are sort of this level of angels we, we don't even understand? Are, it seems like they're, they're humans. But that's a question. In fact, one commentator came up with 21 possible ideas as to who the elders are. And then these living creatures are around the throne. That's very interesting, too. So we have these, this inner circle, these, verse 6 of chapter 5, the, the four living creatures and then the elders. And this angel cries out, who can open the scroll? So there's this moment, a dramatic moment. This may be retrospective if you're inter- interested in time. Interesting concept with heaven, but perhaps it's retrospective that this was a moment experienced in heaven and that the atonement of Jesus is now being explained and understood. I would suggest that the scroll is the redemptive plan of God that includes destruction of evil and the establishment of peace between God and man. It is the plan of human destiny. Where's the world going? What are the next steps in history? What's going to be revealed? Where are we headed? And for a moment, it seems as though this scroll that will enact this history, the scroll that will put this history into effect, it seems for a moment when there's all silence in heaven, that no one is found on heaven or on earth to open this scroll and break these seals, John weeps. Could it be there is an indefinite postponement of God's final and decisive action into this world? Will God be forever passive, indifferent, not engaged, Will there always be some indefinite postponement of God's involvement with the world? The world is in a wretched situation. Someone who must act who is worthy. That's a key, key concept. There was a quick search for, through heaven and there was a quick search through earth. Who is able by their character, by their virtues, who can step up, take this seal, crack open the, 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 take the scroll, crack open these seals, and say, I can enact the future. Man, do you ever feel... Uh, no one's in charge of this earth. 
Do you ever have a broken heart? Because you have hopes and they are dashed. Garrison Keillor of NPR Radio, he said that if life doesn't break your heart at least once a day, you suffer from a lack of imagination. There seems to be the prospect of an indefinite postponement, and John weeps. Someone has got to interact. Someone's got to enter this this situation, this wretchedness. The world is in trouble. Caesar's in charge, it seems. War and evil and racism. Divisions. Death. By the way, it's a great question, Christians. We should ask ourselves, are we asking the right questions of life itself? Who is able to open this scroll and break its seals? It's the most important question that could be asked of a wretched and sinful world. And then one of the most beautiful transitions in all our Bibles. That's just beautiful transitions. There's one in Romans 3 that's just beautiful. And it just goes like this, is, but God. <laughs> We're going through all this sin, and then Romans, around 3.22, it says, but God. God found a way to bring us righteousness. It's beautiful. And here's the, one, of the, one of the most beautiful ones as, as well. One of the elders, look at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So one of these elders turns to John in this vision and says, Weep no more. And between the throne and the four living creatures, this is verse 6, and among the elders, I, this is John, saw, and he's just been told, there is a lion who can do it. And he turns and he looks over to the scene around the throne and Scripture records for us, I saw a lamb. We were expecting a lion. I saw a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went, he, this lamb, this lion, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, a gold, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The lamb is alive, but he has the marks of death on him. The lamb is showing signs of death. And he comes and he takes this scroll. John helps us at times in interpreting the book of Revelation. He tells us that this incense, the image of incense, is actually prayer. John helps us in interpreting this revelation. Here is the one who can enact the final stages of history. And he has, he has evidence on his body of death. But he's alive. 
History is under the very control of this lion from the tribe of Judah who suffered as a lamb. He conquered and now directs the final stages of history itself. And what is the response to this? Worship. Worship. Consistently in the Bible, sometimes when a covenant is being enacted, when God's people have been delivered, consistently there is a song. A song. Other side of the Red Sea, there is a song. Celebrating. Songs are, songs are beautiful. You know what we do with songs? It's interesting. Uh, songs. Uh, you sing something that you could say rather quickly. So take one of our hymns. You just, just read it out loud. Well, you can read it in maybe 45 seconds. But it takes four minutes. It takes five minutes to sing the song. Why is that? Because the beauty of what we're singing about, we want to elongate. I'm going to camp on this word for a little while. We're going to sing it. We're going to hold it out there for, for quite a while. We're going to hold this word love or redemption or deliverance, or whatever the word is. We're going to hold it out there, and we're going, to, we're going to hold it on our mouth for a while, let our lungs produce, and, and, our, voice, and our voices produce this word, and we're going to keep that word going for quite a while, because we don't want to skip over it. That's what songs do. Songs stretch out something, and they now sing a song. Look at verse 9. And you'll have this in your worship folder. And, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Imagine how this, how this how, to listen to this. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Because of your death, you're able to enact the destiny of the world. And what is that destiny? The song tells us. What is God intending by the lamb becoming slain? It's there in verse 9. Humanity become one. The divisions, the wretchedness, the disgusting racism, the hatred, the murder, the radically disordered loves in the language of Augustine. The song in heaven is an understanding of a right interpretation of the atonement. So you were slain, that's a historic fact, but for what purpose? Here's the interpretation. You ransomed people for God. Now, I think it's interesting, I mean, I sort of get it pretty quickly here, John, from every tribe and language. Now, if I think that's enough. Wouldn't that be enough to say from every tribe and language? Don't, don't you get, you get, oh, everybody, right? Every kind of people. Not for, not for inspired scripture. We're a little bit dense with this subject here. 
from every tribe and language and people and nation, as if you don't quite get it. Can you say it in any other ways? I think that pretty much wraps it up. Every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you have made them, and here's their, here's their destiny, here's their purpose, to be a kingdom and priests to our God. They're going to continue an intercessory relationship with you, and they will reign on the earth. This is the reestablishment of man's purpose. This is the royal dignity of man being restored through the slain lamb. Humanity is going to recover through a miracle, and it's a miracle death. In our age, death is sort of, that's it. Someone dies, that's it. We often think, well, nothing good can come from that. Death just characterizes this age. It's the end of someone's life, right? But not with this death. This death is restorative. This death rebuilds. This death reestablishes. This death, this death redignifies, if there's such a word. He re, God, this death does something miraculous. It goes right at the heart of our wretchedness. And we are ransomed and brought into restorative purposes. The blood of Jesus has the power to include all kinds of people, and we do not have that power. And the song is about your worthiness to enact the plan. Your plan included the massive divisions of this wretched existence. Why is the Lamb worthy? He was slain and he purchased people for a beautiful reason. And then, verse 12, take a look at this. Then I looked. See, John is, John is sort of being caught off guard. He's like, whoa, something's over here, something's over here, something's over here. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. Now the angels are going to uh, chime in here, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, essentially beyond counting, saying with a loud voice. And this may have been more like a chant, more like a chant. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's a form of doxology. The angels who are not the object of redemption. Jesus did not die for angels. They perceive and understand something glorious has taken place because of a glorious person. They get it. I've often wondered if angels talk amongst themselves. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't go. Uh, I wouldn't do that. From, do they understand us? Do they know us? Can they see us? But the angels, whoa, they're weighing in on it, and here's what they're they're doing. They're ascribing royal attributes to the Son of God. This is, what you, this is how you talk to a king. Glory and honor and praise. 
right? Don't the Caesars want this? Don't the Caesars want glory and honor and praise? Don't they want? Yeah, they want that. But they can't get it. Oh, they can threaten people. They can force them to bow down. But they can't get to the person's heart. What the angels see is the weighty quality of this Redeemer. He took the scroll and the angels understand this and this one alone has the virtue, proven worthiness within himself. He does not earn this glory. He is deserving of it by and in himself. Ah, it's a wonderful thing to pray for us as believers. Lord, I have a laundry list of things that I want. But what's better is you. What's better is your beauty. What's better is your loveliness. Lord, help me to be praising you for who you are, not what you do for me. I want to bow down before you because of what I understand about you. The word glory is very interesting. In our English, the word glory comes from a Hebrew word. And it's a fascinating etymology. The word glory is associated in Hebrew with, the word, with our word weight. Weight. When you sense God's glory, you sense weightiness. You sense a wonderful, holy heaviness, a presence that will not float away, a presence that will not be blown away. Weight. This is what the angels are perceiving. There's a weightiness about this Redeemer, a weightiness. And then look at verse 13. Now we move even further out. It's like concentric circles. Verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, John says, and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them, all the creatures. Can creatures talk? Well, here they, here they are in Revelation talking. To him who sits on the throne, that would be to the Father, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. How did John hear creation shout this, say this? The Bible tells us it happens. And the four living creatures said, and this is sort of how the worship, the worship is perhaps going on continually, saying, Amen. The word means, so be it, it should be this way, this is the way things are, how could it be any other way? Amen. This is what we need. This is what we live for. This is the one we need. This is who we must have. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's possible that throughout what John saw, he continued to hear the word amen. It's not just at the end of this vision. It's throughout it. 
What is worship? Worship is self-forgetful praise experienced by gazing upon the Lamb who had who had to do what he did. He had to do it. No one else could. He had to do it in order to rescue me. It's a gazing upon the Lamb who had to do this. There was only one way, and that was through his body. Only one way. And he was willing. There it is. He was willing. That's it. He was willing. It is faith sight from where we are here, 875 Aloha Road. This is what we need. Faith sight. Looking up. This is the way, the weightiness I need in my life. The weightiness I need in my life. I need this. Imagine just for a moment. You were to read Revelation 5 regularly regularly read it read it pray about it david pallison and i'll finish with this david pallison who's been influential in my life grew up here in lani kai one of the most influential christian counselors in the world today he says he says referring to revelation one he says this he says that Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Christ turns the world upside down. He says this, One prime effect of the Holy Spirit's inworking presence and power is the rewiring of our sense of felt needs. Where are you in Revelation 5? What about your life? What about your needs? What about your frustrations? Where are you in this... Where are you? What about your marriage, your kids? The things you want out of life? To look very closely. Let's all look together. Where are you in this passage? You're there. You're right where that, that angel asked this question. Who can open the scroll? You, if God were to work by his grace in your heart, where that question is, is vitally important to you, that's where you are. I'm waiting for an answer. David Pallison says, there is a rewiring of our sense of felt needs. These are people who are going to be slaughtered by the power of Rome. They're going to need a compelling vision of the Lamb who overcame. Because, David Pallison writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We keenly feel a different set of needs when God comes into view and when we understand that we stand or fall in his gaze. Christian, you communicate a vibe. And the vibe can be a number of things, but there's a distinctive vibe from the Christian who has a vision of what Jesus has done for them. What they demand out of life is different. What they demand out of others is different. When they join with the 
angel in heaven and say, who is worthy? And they, in their hearts, say, it's only Jesus. And the Christian who has rightly asked the question has the right questions, the categories, the right kinds of questions. And then they find the answer in Scripture. They communicate a certain vibe. They are now beginning to fear God, to love Him. They are now becoming kingdom-oriented. They are now wanting His will to be done because they are so surprised at the news that the Lamb came for them. And God is changing them by in, as to how they, were grow, they grew up, by instinct, by choices, by practice. He is changing them. This vision of the Lamb slain is sufficient to change us. I don't have anything else in my bag of tricks. I have a lamb slain and the image of all heaven bowing down in worship. I would otherwise, David Pallison talks about, squander my life with vanities. I will not have the capacity to endure hardship and suffer in hope. We need to have our faith simplified, Pallison writes, deepened and purified. You see, the miracle death, the miracle death is what? is producing fruit in the life of the believer in the church. And that fruit is worship. That fruit is worship. And there's a weightiness. There's a weightiness. The vibe of weightiness. For those who have been touched by this lamb, who understand this, who, who are still struggling to grasp it, still struggling to get it, there's a weightiness I can see more clearly now where the future's going. And the lamb who was slain, this lion from the tribe of Judah, grabs this scroll and is enacting the destiny of mankind right now. Do not be panicked. Do not scurry for some good news from CNN or some headline. Don't pursue some utopian dream of the way things must be in this, on this earth. Start with the vision of heaven and how heaven understands the future. And the future is in the hand of one willing to suffer in order to redeem us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may we join every creature in heaven and on earth and ascribe to your Son glory and honor, might forever and ever. We love you. Grant us, Lord, the grace to regularly see this vision. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. By the way,